from the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School. This is Work and Life on Business Radio. Welcome to Work and Life. So glad you're here. Listening in on our conversation, which we have every week, exploring all those things related to work and the rest of your life, your family or community, society, your private self, your mind, body, and spirit. How do you find creative ways to bring those pieces together? What can you do? What can your organization do? What can our society do to help create a bit more harmony, a bit more peace, and better performance in the different parts of life? I am your host, Stu Friedman. I founded the Wharton Work-Life Integration Project and the Wharton Leadership Program back in 1991. That's 30 years ago, people. And now I run a management consulting and training company. It's called Total Leadership. And if you visit totalleadership.org, you can get all kinds of free information on, well, how we help people and organizations produce greater harmony in the different parts of life while improving performance in all of them. There's videos, free book chapters, assessment tools, all kinds of stuff there. New episodes of this show premiere Thursdays at 5 p.m. Eastern here on SiriusXM channel 132. And you can follow us on Twitter at SXM Business. I am at Stu Friedman. Well, so many of us have been working from home for quite a long time now. Uh, through the pandemic, there's so much of our attention and our lives are lived now in front of computers and smartphones. Are you feeling burnt out? Are you feeling somehow hurt, damaged by this lifestyle? Do you want to improve how you deal with technology? Well, my guest today is an internationally known expert on workplace health, stress management, holistic health, and he's got a really helpful book. It's called Tech Stress, just out in paperback. I am delighted to welcome Dr. Pepper, Dr. Eric Pepper, to today's program. Eric is professor in the Institute for Holistic Studies, Holistic Health Studies at San Francisco State University, and the full name of his book is Tech Stress, How Technology is Hijacking Our Lives, Strategies for Coping, and Pragmatic Ergonomics. Eric, welcome to Work and Life. Well, thank you so much for your generous introduction, truly. Well, it's and great to have you here. Uh, let me just uh, tell listeners a bit more about you. Eric is a PhD in psychology from Union Graduate School, and he's, his undergraduate was at Harvard. He's president of the Biofeedback Foundation of Europe and a past president of the Association for Applied Psychophysiology and Biofeedback. He's done extensive research on the psychophysiology of healing, holistic health, and biofeedback, and has published numerous scientific studies on these subjects. Articles uh, that you can find out more about. We'll tell you later how to get more information about his work. He provides consultations for individuals and organizations. And we're going to talk about what he's written about in this wonderful book, Tech Stress. Eric, um, what is the big problem? How is technology hijacking our lives? Let's, let's start with the big ideas that you outline in this very helpful first part of your book um, in a general sense. And then we'll get into what's specific to pandemic life and then to solutions. Great. Well, as everyone knows, we are, most of us are now spending all our time sitting in front of screens, whether we are as students studying, as faculty members teaching, as employees working, we're doing socializing, we're doing gaming, and we're doing entertainment all the same time. And we really forget that when we are watching the screen, in some sense, we are captivated, we are almost captured by the media, and we just sit and watch. And intrinsic to this, is that the signals of the screen activate these old survival evolutionary mechanisms which allowed us to survive. For example, I look at the screen, I focus on it. And as I keep focusing, I don't move. And I keep sitting. And if you really look at people, they sit and they sit and they sit. So it moves right into sitting disease, if I call it that. Mm -hmm. we, 
you know, so in that, the quickest interruption is to do movement. Good luck at times. Uh, that's one. Second, the stimuli really do activate my autonomic nervous system. I don't know that it happens. Third. It's below your conscious awareness. That's right. We are totally, it happens and we are not really aware. Mm-hmm. Maybe the best way to give an example of this is have people do a little experiment. I know when you're driving, you can't do that. But in the simplest way, even if you're sitting for a moment, very quickly with your eyes, just quickly look to the extreme right and then to the extreme le- left, back and forth. And I click my, when I make a noise, right, left, right, left, quicker. And at that moment, you probably held your breath when you were doing it. You stopped, you froze in place almost. You can stop looking back and forth. Okay. Is, I was getting a little we, dizzy there. Yeah. And naturally, we don't do it that way in life. But really, that's what happens when we look at the screen. We see a new signal going on and we look for a moment. We don't know. And that really was our first observations when we hmm. did our research oh, 20, 30 years ago. When people had repetitive strain injury, that was the terminology at that time, Mm -hmm. about 25 Mm -hmm. years ago. Mm -hmm. And I remember they would go to the ergonomist because the equipment they were sitting at was probably incorrect. The the ergonomist, and that's a person who looked at the ergonomics uh, of your your posture, how you interact with the keyboard, with the screen, right? Correct. But really what people said, you have pain in your shoulders, your eyes are fatigued, whatever it is, you're exhausted by the end of the day. It's probably how are you sitting inappropriately? And most people, if you look at them and they're sitting, for example, they start slouching. They start, their head goes slightly forward to the screen as they're mousing, their shoulder is slightly up, all without conscious awareness. You know, Eric, you're describing exactly how I am physically uh, active at this very moment. I find myself listening to you. I'm sitting up. I'm moving back away from the screen. And uh, because you and I are speaking uh, on a Zoom call, and that's how we're recording this, even though, of course, uh, people can't see us. Uh, So, yeah, that is what's happening. Please continue. What's wrong with, with what you're just describing in terms of our body motions as we are on screen? So we're just sitting like that. We stay static that way. So one is staticness. Our Mm. bodies really are not designed to be static. Mm. But the more important part is without any awareness, we, we, we stay in this position. Our shoulders are probably slightly up without knowing the moment we are micing as we're trying to either on Zoom, click on the, the mute button, or if you're doing Excel while working, we're going from one cell to the other. You know, we, we are under tension and we are unaware. Now going back, the ergonomists, and that's how we first came across it with the people we work with, the clients, mm-hmm. they, had, they had this expert come, experts, and they arranged the equipment perfectly according to the best guidelines. I have no disagreement. The guidelines for ergonomic, ergonomic setups, how to sit at desk, are superb. There's a big problem in that concept. What is that? The problem is I can get you the perfect chair that gives you the opportunity to sit correctly. It doesn't mean you will. So the second part Mm -hmm. is you need to teach the person how to be and how to work in a work style. And you know, at work often, if there's a lot of work pressure or if the social atmosphere is more difficult or stressful, there's usually higher symptoms as well. So there's an interaction of how the person uses themselves. So when we had this first person, this client who came after having seen the ergonomist, had a perfect setup, we monitored him, and then we observed basically three things. One, without any awareness, what I said before, the shoulders tightened. Two, he never let, he lifted his finger over his mouth, never let it go. Three, he breathed very shallowly. Four, his head went forward, even though he was allegedly sitting well. And just for everybody, if you want to do a mini experiment to see what really happens to you, oh, don't do it when you're driving. But then, okay. So if you're in do, your car, don't do this right now. But right. Uh, if you're but not if you're in your car, uh, if you're just sitting, you can do this, right? Excellent. Okay. Yes. What is it? What is it that we that one could do? Hold your 
hold your mouth. Imagine you're holding a mouse. Mm -hmm. And now with the mouse, I'd like you to draw in a moment the street address, the letters backwards. So if my street address is Derby Street, I draw the letter T with the mouse, then I click, then I draw the letter E with the mouse, and I keep going backwards that way. Except make each letter only about a half inch high, and then do it as quickly as possible. Are you ready to do it now? Start. Uh, Okay. I have a long address. Just start beginning. It's perfectly okay. We'll stop. So do it quickly. Quicker. Quicker. Don't make an error. Each letter is very short. Quicker. I'm done. Man, forget it. You're, you're, You're making me nuts already. I am highly stressed. I don't want to continue. Yes. And what you observed in that moment also is you, your shoulders slightly tightened, you held your breath, and your whole trunk stiffened. Definitely. My shoulders rigid. Yes. And, you, and almost no one is aware of that. Mm. And that's what the, 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 our observations really contributed, I think, to the field with my colleagues, is that the biofeedback, this monitoring of the physiology you could now show to the person. And now you could see, you see, you were unaware. You can, and you can learn to change that. All right. So it's the, those, that reaction that you just induced in me, and I, I'm, I'm not angry with you, Dr. Pepper, <laughs> for making me do that because I quit after 12 seconds because I didn't like it. The, the problem, well, you'll tell us in a minute. Let me, let me just remind listeners, this is Work in Life on Business Radio, Sirius XM 132. I'm your host, Stu Friedman. I'm speaking with Dr. Eric Pepper about his wonderfully helpful book. It's called Tech Stress. He, uh, he's an expert on workplace health, stress management, holistic health practices. What are the consequences of the reaction that you induced in us with that little exercise? If you do this for a little while, you'll end up over time and people vary simply with ten- neck and shoulder tension, the most common complaint mm-hmm. people have, you know, back pain. If you did it more, most likely you could, your high blood pressure, your blood pressure could go up because in some sense you gave a kind of arousal attentive response. And we, there's nothing wrong with this, except we keep doing it without regeneration, without pausing. And if you think of the human being, we really need to be activated, regenerate, activate, regenerate. And this pattern, we, these responses we call evolutionary traps because they were survival mechanisms. If I see a tiger at the far distance, mm-hmm. you know, many thousands of years ago, I better be quiet. I better freeze because when I don't move and stay very quiet, I may not be easily visible. Just mm-hmm. as we would do pre-COVID at the airport, if you're meeting a guest and we would we want to see the person and, and have them identify us. We would wave our arms or do something. Now we do the inverse. If we totally freeze, we're, it is a survival mechanism. It gets activated. And now these become traps for pathology, really inducing illness. And it's much more important than we think this concept. And I'll do, I love to do an, ex, an example from birds on this concept. Okay. Birds. Birds. And these are the albatrosses who nest on Midway Island, which is an island in the Pacific, 2,000 miles away from everywhere else. And when you walk along the shore there, all you see, you see hundreds of skeletons of the birds. They are skeletons with the feathers, and the flesh has been obviously taken away. And what is left is all the, the GI tract but they had digested are all pieces of plastic. It's how come these birds are all eating this plastic? Mm. Now it worked out when an albatross flies over the ocean, pre-plastic era, it would mm-hmm. see a shimmering in the water. Mm-hmm. There would probably be little fish. They would then eat that, swallow it, bring it back to the island, to their chicks, or mm-hmm. digest it themselves. Mm-hmm. Now the same birds fly over the ocean. They see something shimmering. They they take, they swallow it, they taste it. It has a similar taste because of the algae growing on it. They mm-hmm. swallow it or regurgitate it, except this isn't food. This is a piece of plastic. Mm. So you could say these birds are stupid. Like we talk about people that way sometimes. No. Why don't you just get up? No, but maybe, really, maybe humans are stupid for dumping all that plastic in the ocean. Yes, I would agree with that too. But, basic, but basically these birds 
for for over long time period for survival have sharpened that ability to identify that shimmering object and those who did that best would survive now all of a sudden the shimmering object is not a food it is a piece of plastic all right so and it's now it home, trapped to home, survive. Eric, how, do, how does this then help us understand the the stress in uh response or the response to uh, stimuli that we are hardwired from our ancient uh, forebears uh, to survive in a different world. How, how, is, how are those old uh, built-in autonomic responses causing problems for modern people? Okay. Uh, any of you have children or boys, they start playing a computer game and they're playing and playing and playing and then the mother will say, it's time for dinner and the child will say, I'll wait another I'll be there in a moment. And a half an hour later, the child is still being captivated by the screen and the game as if it has no. Could be a girl. And it could also be dad calling for dinner. Just want to. Most likely. You're totally correct. Bias in your statement there, but please continue. So, yeah, I'll be there in a minute. But meanwhile, uh, the child is clicking away on the screen. So what's the problem? And when we have looked at that, you see, for the time the child is clicking away, You can see this bracing pattern. You see them looking at the screen at a near distance the whole time. And what happens to this child later on? Well, if you live in Singapore, by the time you're in junior or high school, 80% of these children now need glasses. They're myopic. Because as you as a very young child are looking at a screen, which we now almost all do, we give babies the iPhone, the iPad, or other digital devices. I'm not, you know maybe a Samsung or whatever, to entertain them, the stimuli captivates them. They just look at that near distance that really transforms the eyes. It changes the eyes. And so they need, they need corrective lenses before, before they might otherwise need them. And you can see, you know, Bill, let me take one more point. You can see this of most adults, Mm -hmm. many adults, when they work at the computer, want the other complaints they have, is their eyes get tired, itchy, or mm-hmm. some quality. And then they leave the screen as if the world is slightly more fuzzy for a while. Hmm. It's the most common, one of the very common complaints. What about the psychological impact? Uh, so you've described one, one of the really important uh, physical consequences to our eyes, to our, uh, our shoulders, um, our upper body, our hands. Um, what about the psychological impact of technology? What's the main thing that you have observed that is uh, problematic in terms of how technology is hijacking our lives? Well, one is, I would say, in some ways, the breaking of a social bond. I'll call that. that. Mm-hmm. And this is the most interesting part. I did this as a study of our students. I asked them very simply, how many, when you're with your friends, again, pre-COVID, more, mm-hmm. uh, when you're together, all of a sudden, one of the other students, their phone buzzes in their pocket and they quickly interrupt where you're doing. They look at it. Almost all experience that as being kind of rejected. It's like mm-hmm. negated. It's, it breaks that social bond. They are not really aware that they're doing it. And yet when you ask the, the students, how many of you are doing that yourself? All the hands go up also. Yes, it's and ubiquitous. So, ubiquitous. And And it's even worse if you think of it in a different way. Now think of a little baby. There's a famous study done out of Tronic out of Boston University Mm -hmm. where you take a baby and a mom. And now you have the baby in front of the mom. And the mom is just entertaining the baby. And now the mother is asked to make a still face, not to be responsive. Mm -hmm. Within a half minute, the baby starts going crazy. Eventually becomes really disturbed. But that's really what we're doing often when we are in a social setting and then we distract ourselves by looking at our phone and we are really creating that break in that bond. Mm. And so what you and I want to do here, really, and that's so nice with with this media, I can see your face Mm -hmm. and I can see you're shaking your head. Mm -hmm. And so we feel connected. Yes, Yes. Yeah, so, so the visual access that we have to each other through this medium right now, uh, it helps, right? It, because it Correct. gives us those, those cues uh, about our, our eyes, our heads, our bodies as we are responsive to each other. 
There are more psychological problems, I would think, from my perspective and from my other colleagues. And that would say that as young children, which where we start, we are continually being activated by the screen. And we are, instead of initiating attention, which is really the skill you and all the, the people at the work site basically have developed to be able to reach out to a tent. Now the process is different. The screen activates my attention. So mm. I'm become a respondent versus an initiator often. Mm. When I play games as a very little kid, it is triggering continually, respond, respond. Yes. And what's the problem and, with that? Well, for to be successful in the world, for my bias, that's a bias, you, you want to be able to initiate. You want to not have to respond to others to mm. trigger your thoughts. And so what I see, and the literature seems to support this, that by this very early excessive exposure to this kind of media, you also increase the probability of, of attention deficit or similar disorders like that on that spectrum. Mm-hmm. So we're living virtual lives now uh, more than we had been. What have you seen uh, since the pandemic that, uh, that causes you to feel uh, ever more concerned about the virtual lives we're, we're living? I think for me, there are two parts in the virtual lives. One, from an evolutionary perspective, we always were in body contact with each other and we connect, or not always, at times. We are missing that social interaction and what students report, which is the biggest population I have, mm-hmm. but also from the literature, there's a remarkable increase in depression. 80% of my students now report an increase in anxiety. It's like you look at those numbers, they say, that is high. And so people are more anxious, more depressed. Not all. Mm -hmm. I'm really clear. For some, this virtual life is superb. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm thinking of my daughter who just gave birth, for example. Congratulations. Thank you. And because she and her husband both work at home, it was a great time to be pregnant. Mm -hmm. So for them, it was almost a better world, if that makes sense. It does. I understand that. And so it is never for everybody. Mm -hmm. But I want to make one more concept, and I want to possibly give us an experience how body, posture, media all interact to probably increase your becoming more depressed and powerless. Hmm. So let me explain this in a detail. What we pointed out earlier was the concept that many of us start collapsing in the chair. We look down. We look down on our phone. That body posture is a posture in many ways of being more powerless and helpless mm. and defeated. Mm-hmm. That is, you, so you could say when you see people walking like this, they're in that body posture. And then you go to college students right now, their spine is different than 20 years ago. No. On the average. Wow. They're slightly more bent forward. Hmm. And that's a signal of... Well, if I keep, okay. So that may lead to direct physiological effect. It affects their breathing, but also affects their thoughts and attention. So let me give an, a, to an example of this. Okay. And I would love to do this a mini experiment. I'll, I'll describe the experiment and the results and people can do it by themselves later because it takes two. Okay. So what you do, it's a very simple study and we have published these. All you do is you sit and you collapse down and look down. So you're a little bit in a slumped position, looking down. The classical cell phone look. You look at, you look down. The cell phone look. All right. So you're looking down. You've got your, you've got your phone in your hands. Your thumbs. You are, don't need your phone even there. You're just there in that body position. Okay, but I'm just trying to imagine this, the, the posture. So I'm looking down. My head is bent. My, my, my chin is, is, is pretty much touching my chest, right? I'm yes. Slightly your leaning spine, forward. And your spine is slightly like a letter C a little bit slightly. Okay. May, your arm is maybe even curled in because your shoulders are rotated in to hold the phone. All right. Okay. I'm there. Now in that position, i like you to just evoke hopeless, helpless, powerless, defeated memories, one after the other. Just okay. evoke one after the other. We normally do this for about 30 seconds, but that's too long on the air. Okay. After 30 seconds, you don't change your position. 
now evoke only empowering positive memories. I want to sit up. No, don't sit up. Keep the same position. I know, but that's my impulse is to want to I know. sit up. You make different. <laughs> that's a very good point. But, but okay, I'm, I'm staying with it. Okay. Do that for 30 seconds. Now you shift your position. Now you sit way up. Okay. Almost you open your shoulders more. Your, head, your palms can be up on your lap. Now look slightly up, not too far up, but your eyes are slightly above the horizon. Mm-hmm. Now evoke in this position only hopeless, helpless, powerless memories. And, this, and again, we would do this for 30 seconds. And then after 30 seconds, evoke only empowering positive memories. Okay. Hang on to that thought. We have to take a short break here. When we come back, you're going to explain to us how we can use this experiment to learn something useful about managing tech stress in our crazy lives these days. So please stay with us, folks. Um, We're just going to take a short break here. When we come back, I'll continue my conversation with Dr. Eric Pepper. I am Stu Friedman. This is Work and Life on Business Radio, Sirius XM 132. Stay with us. We'll be right back. You're listening to Work and Life on Business Radio. Hey, welcome back to Work and Life. Really glad you're with us. I am your host, Stu Friedman, and we are talking today with Dr. Eric Pepper, who is an internationally known expert on workplace health, stress management, holistic health. We're talking about his work and his latest book, just out in paperback. It's called Tech Stress, How Technology is Hijacking Our Lives, Strategies for Coping, and Pragmatic Ergonomics. All right, Eric, just before the break, you took us through that experiment of different postures, thinking uh, depressing thoughts of hopelessness and contrarywise, thoughts of feeling empowered and capable. So what are we to take from that little experiment that you took us through? Well, just what you almost personally reported when you were made it more difficult for me to do the study and the smile that when you said, gosh, when, I, when I'm collapsed and I, want, I ask you to think positive thoughts, you want to sit up. Mm-hmm. But what did we find? Overwhelmingly, the data is truly overwhelming, mm-hmm. that when people are in the slouch position, they find it much easier to evoke hopeless, helpless thoughts than when they were sitting upright and looking up. That was one. Two. When they were in the slouch position, a study I did with Yimei Ling in Kaohsiung, uh, when they are sit, collapsing down and they think of positive images, the brain literally had to work more harder, be more activated to evoke the positive memories. Hmm. It's, you know, it, and I'll so be- So your more- posture influences what you're capable of thinking about and 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 imagining for yourself and your identity in the world at that moment is that right yes or the way you could say it is that for many people especially those who have had a history and Mm. i think this is a real important finding people who have some history of having depressive episodes Mm -hmm. or feeling depressed more which more people do right now for many reasons this body slouch posture has a much larger effect. It drops, it lowers their subjective energy. They feel more quickly moving into depression. Once you see that or experience that, then you can realize, wait a minute, maybe I can take some control. So when I find myself slouching and have negative thoughts, you know, even if I want to change them, we get caught in this loop. Now, if I change in my posture, really sit up, take a breath, look up for a moment, and then attempt to change the thoughts. One is much more successful doing that in a study we, we did with my colleague in Tel Aviv hmm. as well. Uh, it is most interesting. And the final one, I thought this was the most interesting study we did in the same theme. You can do the same little study doing math. It's really maybe stereotypic threat, but it's math. You ask people to mentally subtract the sequential number many times. So subtract the number seven from 114. That's 107. That's 100. That's 93. You can make it easier or more difficult. Mm-hmm. Depending. That's the mental task. Okay. 
Now you ask them, you can do this in groups. We do this in classes. That's easy. So it's very well controlled. Half the class slouches, half the class sits erect, etc. cetera. Uh, and then you just have them rate how difficult it is or how, or how impossible it is to do the math mentally. Mm. And then you see that for almost all of them, not all, but for more than 80% or so, doing slouch, it's significantly more difficult to do the mental math. For right. some, it becomes impossible. Most interesting. Right. So, Not everybody. So, so your posture actually influences what you're capable of thinking and how quickly you can do problem solving and probably other, other uh, aspects of daily living as well. Uh, that's incredible that you've demonstrated that. What does that mean in terms of what people can do? I, I'd like to dig into that's, some of your favorite coping strategies for living in our tech uh, world, our, our tech, our ubiquitous technology. What should people take note of? What I, There's a lot in here. We're not going to be able to cover everything, obviously, but what are some of your favorite um, tips for what people can do now to gain a great The first thing, apps, your point is totally well taken. Let me give two quick tips just on the kind of posture. One, okay. when you're at home, we don't only sit at the computer. We sit on our couch while we're watching television or some form of streaming services. As, when you're as sitting, a potato, Mike, correct? Yes. <laughs> Let's put it a couch potato, right? Uh, however, if you sit that way, and I now do this myself, yeah. I take a little pillow on the couch. I put it in my lower back where my okay. kidneys are. I put my bottom all the way back in the couch. And now when I sit, I'm leaning more back and I'm open in front. And so I'm not in that depressive posture. I'll call it for a moment a more powerless posture That's while funny. I'm watching streaming videos. And and by having the pillow there, I don't have to think about it. If I have to use my brain to do activities, it's much harder to do it. I need well, to you're make also it paying less ritual. attention to what it is that you're trying to consume yes. through the movie or whatever it is that you're watching. So yes. you want to make it easy for yourself. Put a pillow behind your lower back to keep yourself sitting up straight. Is that right? Yeah. Correct, but most many people make an error. They put the pillow too low, so they oh. really slouch more. So it's really your bottom goes all the way back. There's a little pillow at your mid-back more. Okay. So, so you're opening up in that sense. You have more presence, mm-hmm. another word to think of it. That's one. Two, if there's one hint I can give to anybody, get up every 20 minutes, do some activity. So even if I just get up at this moment, and all I do is I get up, I just stretch, I move up and down, I reach up, I skip yeah, but in stay front. near the mic, Eric. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> you see, I get excited doing that. But well, basically, it, if you just do that, mm-hmm. we have demonstrated this exquisitely with students. Their energy level goes significantly up. Mm-hmm. And you know, right, this, so this came- is a good one. Uh, let me just jump in here. This is a great idea. If you're running a meeting and you've got, say, an hour with your team or with some group that you're presenting to online, you're, you'd be smart to interrupt what you're doing, even just for 12 seconds to, all right, everybody stand up and just shake your arms out and, st- and maybe dance around a bit. Uh, if you want to turn your screen off, if you feel self-conscious about that, you can do that, but just move and then come on back and we'll continue. That's a good idea, according to what you're saying. Am I right? It is the best suggestion I give. Let me tell the you best. how this how this. How Why this is came that about. so good? Hmm? Why is that so helpful? Because when, as we're sitting, many of us start slouching. Our energy decreases. We become almost less attentive. Our, and so we are really shrinking away and people feel that. Now you're activating your sympathetic nervous system again. You've also moved. You have all these muscles, which previously may have been held under static tension, which you were unaware of. Some are now relaxing and tensing and relaxing. Let me give a physiological example of that, why it's so important. Okay, so these little micro breaks, that, that is really useful and everybody, if you're listening right now and you're sitting somewhere, why don't you just get up and, you know, just move, move your body around a bit. That's going to help you. How's it going to, how's it going to help improve your, your, your mental capacity and your physical health? Just, if you could just give us oh, absolutely. 30 seconds on what's, why that is so valuable to do. You get an increased blood flow. And also because this is slight fun, 
you allow the, almost the frontal cord, your, your cortex to work better. When we get defensive in a slouch position, if you think about that, and just sitting, mm -hmm. we are, we, it's harder to do abstract thinking because we need to deal with immediate survival. We don't need a cortex almost. I'm being simplistic in a sense. Mm -hmm. Your energy really goes up. I mean, you ask in our studies, students, when you do these movements, what happened? They say two things. One, my energy is up so they can attend again. Two, their mood is usually slightly better. Hmm. And when we are in a slightly more positive mood, communication goes easier. What if you're talking about something really serious, like, uh, well, you know, some sort of scientific study or some really or even a difficult deaf in a family. business problem? I'm sorry? Or even deaf in deaf, families. yes, yeah. So Remember in deaf, if you study the, the post experience of, of family members, those who get together right, even right after the death, and there's both this horrible sadness of loss, of loss, but also there's laughter because often we can laugh about things. The families where laughter intersperse with the, with this deep negative emotions, really grief, the grief completes itself much quicker. You're not mm -hmm. stuck with it. Mm -hmm. and hey, so let me I remind think, listeners, uh, if, so even if you're talking about death, it's still a good idea to get up and shake it a bit uh, so that your body and your mind, perhaps even your spirit, uh, is somehow reinvigorated, even just for a minute. This is Working Life, folks, on Business Radio, Sirius XM 132, and I'm glad you're listening. I'm Stu Friedman, your host. I'm speaking with Dr. Eric Pepper about his book, Tech Stress. Dr. Pepper is an expert on workplace health, stress management, and holistic health practices. All right, so get up every 15 or 20 minutes, even just for 30 seconds. What else would you advise, Dr. Pepper? To Absolutely. To practice more lower diaphragmatic breathing. As you okay. Now, you could ask why. If we breathe high up in our chest, oh, I'll do this with you. Think of something for a moment and now take a quick gasp breath. So you think of something, either positive or negative, and now quickly gasp <gasps> like this. What okay. happened to your thought at that moment? I lost it. Correct. Now, imagine if you start breathing more in that pattern, it's harder to think. If I can breathe a bit lower and slower, I can stay more present. It reduces my excessive stress. Many people have difficulty breathing lower in their abdomen for many reasons. They have designer's gene syndrome, now less. That means the belt is too tight mm -hmm. or they're constricted. And then you sit on a chair without knowing if your clothing is appropriate, so you don't, you know, you're perfectly okay dressed. Then when you sit, your waist expands and now the belt you have, the waist constriction constricts against this. And no, and how many of us have not had the experience? We go to a restaurant, we're dressed up and then we are eating and we find our stomach is too filled. We undo the button and we feel much better. I'm, I'm not going to comment on that, but um, <laughs> I, th I think I know what you're talking about. Uh, so by so learning to breathe slower, it's really helpful. So mm -hmm. it's like every so often pause for an instant, take a gentle breath in, feel the abdomen getting bigger, and then gently exhale. Again, you can see how that affects physiology. How this will it? be, this is more easily seen when people are much young, but younger, that the response is bigger. If you put your, if you feel your own pulse, again, not while driving, feel your own pulse on your wrist, or the carotid artery in your neck. Mm -hmm. Then for a moment, take a very quick, high, big breath in your chest, or take a big breath, inhale, and now just gently exhale. Mm -hmm. Now inhale again. And what most people would observe and this is highly, pro you know, the, the amplitude decreases as we get older, is that when you inhale, your heart rate speeds up, and that's when you exhale, your heart rate slows down. So mm -hmm. this is a rhythm that is intrinsic to the body. And by learning to breathe, exhaling slower, you can reduce your own stress and regenerate more. And of course, this, what you're describing here is, uh, 
is uh, an essential aspect of most meditation practices and mindfulness practices, right? Yes. Correct. I mean, they, they all begin with uh, deep breath, deep breath in and basically slowing down, attending to your breath and becoming more conscious of uh, the very things that you're advising. Uh, we be more uh, deliberately aware of in terms of how our body uh, is, is situated in the world uh, and, and, you know, straight, straight posture, sitting up, looking forward, slightly up. These are all a part of uh, what what many meditation practices are teaching. Isn't that right? And yet, most of us, even if we know what to do, including Eric Pepper, <laughs> we tend to skip it. So what I have done now for myself are two things to help me remind myself. Okay. One, I install, I've installed a free app, and there are many other ones yes. called Stretch Break. That one is, I don't make any money on these. They're free. Stretchbreak.com. It's a little yeah. app you put in your computer mm -hmm. and it pops up and it reminds you every 20 minutes to stretch or do something. Oh, wow. Most, but most people, what they do after a while, oh, I'm too busy. I'm going to interrupt my, you know, I don't want to do it. They turn it off. Yes. It really takes training. If you're really honest to yourself and do this for about two or three weeks and have social support at your work. Now, most people work at home mm -hmm. and do it. I can promise one thing that you have more energy at the end of the day. This is what, in fact, how we started. We had a group of employees at the university. One of the people said, I have no problems at all. I have no, you know, I'm perfect. I work at a computer. I have no issues. We were tr doing this training program. We encouraged him to use this kind of program. Finally, he agreed. Okay, I'll do it. You know, sort of because he was part of this group. He came back the next week and says, you know, there's life after five. And what he meant was he was never aware that during the day his energy faded out and was tired. Mm -hmm. Now, by taking these breaks, he gets these little boosts the whole time. Mm -hmm. It's not the only thing that occurs, mm -hmm. but it's really useful. The second one. This one would probably cost money, but I find it the most useful. And we have done this with students. I don't know that I slouch, by the way. I'm unaware that I slouch, hmm. even though I teach about this. But however, what, I, what, uh, what you can do is you can have a little feedback device mm -hmm. called an upright. You put it on your spine. Mm -hmm. It is basically a tilt meter, if you think about this. It goes okay. as an app on your cell phone. And then you can calibrate it, but it's an upright position. And then the moment I slouch... It vibrates, or you can have delays on it. And it reminds me, oh, wait a minute. And what we found in our research, which is really interesting, why mm -hmm. do people slouch? You know, because the first thing you do is say, what is happening? One, I'm going more to the screen. I'm using my mouse, or what I'll call ergonomic changes, you know, body changes. Then it asks the question, maybe I need new glasses to see better. And you may have to work at that. Two, I'm getting tired. If that's the case, well, take a break, do something, you know, many other things. Three. Even a short break, even, even a very short break is, is uh, better, a lot better than no break at all, right? Absolutely. I mean, mm -hmm. I so do this, let me give you an experiential feeling how important small breaks are. Okay? All right. What hap that happens also in your neck and shoulders and your cognition is the same way. But I'll do it by a metaphor with your leg. As you're sitting... Lift your knee, your foot slightly off the floor, about an inch off the floor. Okay. The right foot. Keep holding it there. Keep holding it. All Keep right. Holding. And after a little while, depending how long you do it, depends how, and how long you can do it, depends how much I pay you. But basically, okay. keep holding it. Now you start feeling slight discomfort, and probably another minute or two, you really would be uncomfortable. I think that's probably the case. Okay. That's enough. I will grant you that. All right, foot down. Now, these are the same muscles, however, we use while walking. And mm -hmm. most people who have no hip or knee or foot problems can walk for miles and have no problems. Why is that? Because the muscle tightens and then relaxes and regenerates. Tightens, regenerates. This is the metaphor of a very low-level static tension, which we hold in our bodies and even of our thoughts. 
And so what, what, what's the recommended action here? The recommended action is essentially keep moving. Don't stay in a static position. Mm-hmm. If you are stuck on a problem, often if you keep being stuck in the problem, the word stuck says it already. Hmm. What I highly recommend, get a different point of view. That means go outside, take a walk, look at the trees. Then when we may come back, we have a different perspective to the old problem. This hmm. is also true in our physio, you know, in our, when we feel tight physically. Mm-hmm. There, just moving, you know, just moving. Even even if you can't get outside, simply walking around your room uh, is is going to is going to be helpful in the way that you describe it. Um, we've we've not got much more time left. You've got a whole much a whole bunch more in your book about things that people can do. I, I wonder if you can give us your favorite skills for sanity. There's a whole section on skills for sanity. What's what's one that you find is most helpful these days? Well, one of the skills for sanity, I think I love the exercise of rewriting failure into success. Okay. Which is real because so often we blame ourselves. We did something. Oh, shit. Um, uh, oh, blank. I you should can, not have done that. Here. This is Sirius XM. We, 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 okay. we occasionally <laughs> use language that you wouldn't find on uh, network TV. Please continue. So we say, I should not have done that. Take the premise, whatever you did, at that moment is the only thing you could have done. That's one. Hmm. Because given this, that's a perspective. Two, if you say to yourself, I should not have done that, Hmm. we mentally rehearse the failure. And when you rehearse failure, you're overtraining, you're really conditioning the brain, making neural pathways to do that failure again. What you want to do is acknowledge it didn't work. You know, and then ask yourself the simple question, Given the wisdom I have now, how would I, could I do it, could have done it differently? That is not blaming yourself. It's mm-hmm. saying now I have a new information and then rehearse this new part, how you would do it now. Mm-hmm. And it's so impressive when people really do this. Often we see people procrastinate less, mm-hmm. our students. It really makes a difference. It's remarkably difficult to just you know, think of a new way of doing it. And that's also leads to problem solving. And if it's also possible, there was no other way that I, there would be no other change. If that's the case, then we need to learn in the way strategy to accept and let go. So the, the key here is to, is to, without judgment, look at what you've done, right? And, and then, go ahead. And, and at that moment, acknowledge really, that given all the conditions, whether you were drunk that day, it makes no difference. But at that moment, you didn't yet have the skills to do anything different than what you did. Hmm. Then, but that's the awareness saying, okay, I accept it. It doesn't mean if I did something horrible or bad, I, do, I shouldn't apologize to somebody. I'm not saying that, but you couldn't have changed anything at that moment. However, you can learn from it. And then you ask the question, huh, I can see a new option for this. Mm-hmm. And now rehearse that new option many times. Rehearsing and is, it. And that is the part we have learned from our peak performance work with athletes. When they do that, their performance improves. So the key is to be, again, consciously and deliberately practicing a way of thinking about performance yes. that changes your, well, your your performance musculature, you might think of it as, or perhaps you have a better way of describing it. Well, that's a very very good way because basically when you are doing a mental rehearsal of something, if I rehearse blaming myself, I should not have done that. Mm -hmm. Or then all I do is I make that pathway. It's like I do it more. So more likely I'll do it the same way next time, which is what many of us do. We keep saying Mm -hmm. I should not do, should not do versus saying, I did it. Let me think, how can I do it differently? And I would almost act that out. Hmm. And then it gives a new option of a pathway. It's like mental rehearsal, which almost every speaker does. Or when you give a talk, you rehearse at least the topics you want to address. I I would actually probably do better if I did that. But yes, that's what we do. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we all, you know. But rehearsal practice 
it's it's really uh, very very important, Eric. We are we are near the end of our time here. What's what's the most important idea in this book that you want people to take away in just thirty seconds? What's the the big idea here? The big idea is that much of our illnesses or difficulties we get working at in a in this media or digital environment is the evocation of early survival mechanisms, and they get evoked too often. And that's one. Two, we can take charge of that. We can interrupt it. We can develop healthy work patterns. That's ergonomics, getting the right chair, adjusting that, interrupting your, your behavior. Also, be careful with vision. Keep stopping and look at the far distance to relax your eyes. And finally, just one hint for students, for young kids, students or people who are at big Zoom meetings. Yes. Not like we're doing right now because we are, as if we're too, 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 we are really talking to each other. But in our research of our students, we have observed when you see these 60 students as little postage stamps, they are almost all blank faced or they're just their name is shown. In the study we have just publishing, all, all we asked have to, we asked the students to do it two ways, normally versus as if they're talking. They are reacting to the instructor like we are doing right now. You do facial expressions, you nod your head. Mm -hmm. What we see is a significant improvement in attention, in retention. It's just my, it's, you know, because right. when you do we, we have to bring it home here. I get it. Uh, I'm going to use that. Uh, Dr. Eric Pepper, thank you so much for joining us. How can people find out more about the wonderful work you're doing? Probably the easiest way to do that is go to my blog, which is www.pepperperspective.com and pepper with one P in the middle, pepperperspective.com, or else have a website called biofeedbackhealth.org. Eric Pepper, thank you very much for joining us. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much for the interview. I enjoyed it. And thank you for listening, folks. Uh, don't forget to tune in next week, 5 p.m. Eastern. If you have a question you want to ask me about, just write to me, Friedman at wharton.upenn.edu, where you can find me on LinkedIn. Uh, and visit totalleadership.org if you want to find out about all the stuff we've got there that might help you find a greater sense of harmony and better performance in the different parts of your life. Thanks, Patty Hall, our producer, and our sound engineer, Chris Tooks. I'm Stu Friedman. You've been listening to Work and Life on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School, Sirius XM 132.